Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Boza follows the harrowing journey of three sub-Saharan African immigrants, Sani, Yamal, and Kone, as they leave their homes in their teens to embark on a years-long journey to a new life in Spain, crossing the Sahara Desert by foot, spending months to years living in forest of Morocco, and finally making the dangerous crossing to the Spanish mainland or territories by land or sea. These three powerfully distinct immigration stories have one thing in common, their incredible optimism in the face of inconceivable adversity. And the film is called Boza, and we're joined today by the director, and that would be Sydney Bowie. Sydney, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Thank you. Well, um, I know you're a homegrown, uh, at least Orange County-based, or grew up in this area, uh, th- and you're going to be screening at the uh, Newport Beach Film Festival coming up this coming week. Uh, congratulations, all of that. And uh, But before we get into the Newport Beach Film Festival, this is just a wonderful film, and it is an intimate look into the lives of people that are often thought of as just a mass of migration, just sort of a faceless entity in the world we live in. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious how you got to know Sonny, Yamel, and Kone. Of course. Um, that's You really hit on a point that I think was a driving force behind this film, which is if you start to separate individuals from the masses, I think that's where the stories have the most impact. And so I knew that was the angle I wanted to take rather than kind of like a journalistic look at immigration in Spain. So I spent nine months living in Sevilla as part of a Fulbright grant. So that was the catalyst really for the beginning of the project. Probably the first six months were spent just kind of learning as much as I could about the issue and trying to create as many relationships as I could. And it was kind of a domino effect of meeting people and the more events I'd go to and the more people I spoke to and interviewed, it kind of led me to these three individuals that ultimately became the main protagonists, I'll say, of the film. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment with each one of them as individuals or a moment when... The, this project, the idea behind this project became something of the, the spark, the light that went on for you uh, in terms of just, you were hearing these stories, I'm sure you were getting to know these, these men, but just in terms of, was there an incident or something they said to you and this became this imperative that you had to, had to make this film? I think probably in one of my interviews with Sani, he, and it's interesting because I was doing the interviews with him in Spanish. His Spanish is fluent, perfect. He's been in, had, had been in Spain for five years at the time. There was a bit of a language barrier there in terms of I was wondering if things he was saying were being lost in translation. And when he told me about his friend that he loses in the Sahara Desert, he's crossing it for four days by foot with just a bottle of water and a package of cookies. And on the fourth day, his friend doesn't wake. And it was one of those things I heard, and I went, am I hearing this correctly? Is this really what he's telling me? And you're kind of shocked and in a state of disbelief, and then you wonder, am I mistranslating this? But um, once I asked someone else, is that really what he said? I think that was the moment where I thought, 
this is so much more than I even thought it was. And to hear somebody tell you that firsthand was a pretty incredible and moving experience. Yeah, that's in the film, that, that, uh, that story, that description, and many others like it. And so it's, again, this is sort of the part of the film that just pulls you in. You can't help but human to human understand just how uh, remarkably difficult and um, challenging it was for, for these, these men and so many others who've made this perilous journey from all parts of Africa, mostly from northern Africa, but nonetheless from all over the continent, looking for just an opportunity to live as any human being would want to live. So what was the sort of the logistics of you getting the film made or sort of what are the challenges? And and, I'm just kind of curious, how long did the film take from sort of in production terms? Well, this is my first feature documentary. So (laughs) I was I was in over my head from the start. But it was such an incredible learning experience and journey that just has prepared me to go out and hopefully make another feature. But I started, so I'm two years ago we actually shot, and that was six months into my grant of living in Spain, uh, where I did the bulk of my preliminary research. And then it took two years of editing and fundraising to get the film finished um, to where it is now. So it was definitely a process. But something that you just mentioned that I kind of like to add to is I think a lot of the focus of the migratory journey from Africa to all parts of Europe really focuses on the very end of it, the last bit when the crisis literally and figuratively washes up on European soil. And something that was so surprising in my shooting that I didn't realize was it's months to years before these migrants even make it there. And often the crossing, I met somebody that had crossed, tried to cross over 100 times and failed every time. And that was something I had no idea about, that how many people have died crossing the Sahara Desert, because we just don't see it in the media. So I think that was definitely another impetus for the film and um, a surprising detail that just emerged as I started learning more about this particular route that gets really little coverage compared to the Eastern Mediterranean. That is true, and you're right. I, 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 in a way, the thought of crossing the Sahara is so daunting, and so I mean, in I'm, I'm not that familiar with the Sahara, but I do know it's it's a, one of the largest deserts in the world, and the thought of just embarking upon a journey like that doesn't even make sense on some level, on some level that I'm familiar with anyway. So well, what happens often is smugglers will leave migrants in the middle of the desert. So they, they pay for passage across the desert and they get left. Yeah. And so that's one of the ways that that happens. And that's not to say that every single migrant crosses the Sahara by foot the way that Sani did. Right. But that is just one, one part of the migration journey that I had no idea really happened. And then same with just the violent discrimination against sub-Saharan uh, African migrants in northern in northern Africa, so in Algeria, in um, Morocco. Right. And in addition to the unfathomable amount of, you know, challenges it is to, first of all, make the decision to leave your country and your family and then to do, to make that effort to cross over. In addition to that, Right, and they and they the three of them were all teens when they left, 
And Jamal was an orphan, but um, Sani and Kone didn't tell their parents, either of them, when they left home. So just to think about that wow. at 15 or 16. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and also, in the journey itself, the uh, opportunity for people to essentially take incredible advantage uh, in and uh, literally swindle people out of money and leave them to die is not an unusual set of circumstances for people making this journey. So do you have all of you know, that as well? Definitely. I mean, you're dealing, people that are smugglers are criminals. And so when you're getting smuggled across, you're not necessarily, you're not guaranteed passage. And um, there are a lot of questionable things that happen along the way to these migrants that really get taken advantage of because they're such a vulnerable population in um, in these countries like Morocco and Algeria. Yeah, it, it's, it's remarkable. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Sydney Bowie. She is the director of a documentary film called Boza, and it is playing this week. Boza is playing at 3.15 on Monday at Big Newport as part of the Newport Beach Film Festival, and it will be its world premiere. And you'll be there. I will be there. I'll be there for a Q&A with... Um, my director of photography, my editor, and um, sound designer as well. So there'll be a team of us. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and the Newport Beach Film Festival, I believe there's over 300 films at the, at the film festival. And for people who are not familiar with Newport Beach, um, it is a wonderful place just to come and visit on that level. And then the venues in which they're going to be screening the films are all outstanding. So... And you're at Big Newport, you said? Yes. Big Newport. The, at one time, laid claim to having the largest screen in the western United States. I remember years ago, would you go in there, they would, they love to tell you that. So. Yeah, it's a beautiful theater. Yeah, it is a beautiful theater. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the subjects of the film. Uh, you mentioned Sani uh, and Yamal and Kone. We've we talked sort of in general terms. Uh, all of them are just terrific people. I mean, you'd, I would want to sit down and have a conversation with them the, the minute I met them because they just uh, just kind of ooze a, um, uh, a, uh, a sense of humanity, and they seem to be very engaging people. Uh, Sonny is a particularly strong speaker and a man with yeah. a very, very strong point of view of the three I don't know if it's fair to say the most political, but certainly the one who's most focused on the journey and the experience of people migrating to Europe. I do think that's fair, especially because he's such an activist and he speaks publicly and openly about his story, which is how I even connected with him to begin with. But one thing that was interesting in shooting, and he just mentioned this in a conversation um, that the first time he told his story, he could barely get through it. And I think you'll see in the film, he's so poised and composed and such a beautiful speaker and so articulate. Mm -hmm. um, but there's these moments where you feel that emotion start to bubble up, even though he's so practiced in telling his story in a very calm and collected way. And I think that moment, the moment I already mentioned of him, of his uh, friend dying in the desert, there was his eyes kind of started to well for the only time I'd ever seen him momentarily break that composure. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a very powerful individual. And I would say uh, the same things about um, 
Yamal and um, Kone in that they are, uh, they've all, especially in Kone's part, he has really found himself. Uh, he is the, uh, he's a runner. He's a long, not a, well, he is a long distance runner. What am I saying? He's a marathon runner. And he's found uh, a mentor and a coach. Uh, is it fair to say they've all found a kind of a sense of community in Spain, or how would you characterize? I would say definitely. Okay. Um, that was an element that I thought was really interesting too. Just the different connections that they'd made, especially with uh, native Spanish people. So for Kone, that's his coach who just steps up and is really. I don't want to say a father figure, but um, almost they do kind of become like his adoptive parents and taking him to races, and they they uh, kind of live his victories as much as he does, and I think you feel that in the film. And then the other one is Jamal, um, is Pepe, who sees him on a soccer field and knows that uh, Jamal speaks English because he's from Ghana, and uh, Pepe spoke a little bit of English, and Jamal hadn't really learned Spanish yet, and so he tries to kind of chat with him and and they uh, developed have this really beautiful friendship and Jamal becomes very close with his children as well and so you see him at his family event at Feria um, when he's learning flamenco and that's all (laughs) Pepe's family so he's really been taken under his wing in that way and then with Sani Sani was homeless when he first moved to Spain so he lived on the street for three months but now he lives with um, this family that uh, he's lived there for a couple of years. And it's a similar situation where these people just, they, they see what they can do for someone and they step up and do it, which I thought was a moving part of the film, too. You're right. And you're right. The film also focuses on sort of the immigrant community in Spain and, and talking to people who have... Well, no, wait, hold on. Time out. Let me time out on that. Yeah. No, you talk about people. There's sort of that the people before they make it into the into Spain and then after, right? I yes. mean, that, that's I, I just want to in my mind, I got a little bit fuzzy in there. Tangier. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The group of men living in Tangier yes. in the apartment together. Yeah. And that kind of see them as their own distinct character. Right, right. That that's the other part of this. So let me let me sort of back up and ask that and sure. yeah, go over that again. So they're in the film. You have the people that have are in Spain, living their lives, and who've made it. And there's a, a section of the film about people who are living in Tangiers who have not. And I I, I like that about the film. There's a, there's a contrast at, that uh, that it that it brings to the film. Talk a little bit about that part. Yeah, I thought that was an important, an important kind of like character foil. If you see, there's this group of men, about ten of them, living in this apartment in Tangier, Morocco, kind of in the slums, on the um, outskirts of the enclave, Spanish enclave there, and they've all been there for five, six, seven years, and so many of them remind me of Kone, Jamal, and Sani, just on the other side of the border. And that was one of the men that I met that said he had tried a hundred times yeah. and never made it, mm-hmm. and that they still they'll keep trying until they make it over, or they'll stay kind of in this weird liminal space in Tangier where they're between home and their future. Um, so I thought that was an important other side to see, uh, yeah. yeah, alongside the stories in Spain. Right. 
And there's one other part of the film that I, I really enjoyed was the animation that you used to illustrate. And I thought it was a really well done animation. I thought it was evocative. It was it was to the point of the story being told. I thought who, whoever helped you with that animation did a wonderful job of conveying the, the struggles of trying to get across the Sahara Desert. Whatever it was, it was very well done. Um, what what brought what brought that into to the film? Yeah, Guadalupe Valletta is the artist I worked with. From uh, she actually is from Argentina, and she lives there. And she was so talented in capturing exactly what I had been envisioning for the animation, which was I wanted it to feel like almost like sketchbook of memories, like it was coming straight out of the character's own sketchbooks. And what gave me that idea was. Actually, um, Jamal, who you see, has a fascination and love of cartoons that you learned about right in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And the way that he tells his story is so, it, well, one, animated, but also kind of like he's describing himself in the movie of his life. And that's when I started thinking about animation as a potential medium. And my editor and I um, were talking kind of more in detail about that. And she said, why don't we do all of the migration narrative in animation and I kind of loved that and the more I started thinking about it I it was the only way I could see the film and um, so there's kind of two different ways we use animation one is for these reconstruction of memories of the crossing Mm -hmm. and then the other is these fantasies into the future which I just thought was the perfect medium for kind of this immigration story of their hopes and dreams for the future Um, and those are done in a little bit, the styles are slightly different. So the memory animations are kind of this washed out color. Mm-hmm. And then, and usually only maybe one splash of color or two. And then the, the fantasy animations are done in um, these kind of vivid, bright colors. And it was just such a fun and playful medium to use. And we, we kind of used a little bit of magical realism you'll see in some of the yeah. scenes. Yeah. Uh, so I really... I enjoyed that as um, kind of an art- artistic medium for the well, film. Well, it is a wonderful film. It really is a terrific watch, uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know these men as well as the, their journey, their stories, but also it shining a light on a group of people that are just headlines in newspapers or, you know, 20-second clips on, on a television show and without understanding the context, understanding where these people are coming from and why and how and all the travails that, that, that is put upon the, them in order to just try and live a life, a life that all of us would want for anyone that we cared about. And uh, it's, 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 it pulls at—it's a great film. And I, you know, I, I'm thank you for yeah. one, but I'm also really glad that you said that because that's all I would hope people would come away with from the film. So, yeah. well, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, again, the film is called Boza, and it's B-O-Z-A expl- exclamation points on both ends of uh, the Spanish upside down uh, uh, exclamation points uh, as well. And and you are the producer, the writer. Did you do any editing on this, or did you? you I did not. I had an amazingly talented editor, Florencia Pimarano, who I could not have made this film without. 
So I directed and produced, but I had an incredible team behind me. And while we're at it, let's mention your cinematographers as well. So Breck Van Toff, who's actually a local, Orange County local as well, and then Anna Downey, a friend of mine from Australia. So the two of them helped me uh, as the cinematographers on the project. I mean, this is wonderful, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're going to be at the Newport Beach Film Festival, which, by the way, this film screens on Monday, April 29th at 3.15. It is at the big Newport on uh, Newport Center Drive. You can't miss it. You literally can't miss it. And uh, it's a, And I hope, encourage anyone who's interested in seeing great documentary filmmaking to check this out. Sydney Bowie, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thank you so much, Mike. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.